Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. So, Mark, you have some very exciting news. We obviously started this podcast during COVID and we've made a lot of jokes about overseas travel and you're finally doing it. I mean, I, I went to Singapore for Christmas. <laughs> Wasn't that the overseas I travel? I completely forgot about that. <laughs> you have another trip booked. This one's much more exciting. Is it? Yeah. I'm going back to the US in April. Yes. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what I, have you got planned? We'll spend some time in Boston, then New York, and then Tennessee. So, yeah. And what's in Tennessee? My mother is in Tennessee. She's very excited to see you. I know. I know. So, yeah, we'll see how this whole thing goes. <laughs> I can't say too much because she listens to this. <laughs> okay. She might be the only person that listens to this, but she listens to this. <laughs> Anyway, should we get into the episode? Let's do it. And then, you know, we can we can review the trip after I come back, if mm -hmm. I come back. Because <laughs> my mother might kidnap me, keep me there. So anyway, we're going to take a deep dive on a company today. So, and you know this, of course, Johnny, and maybe only the two of us do. One of our most popular features on, as part of Morningstar Investor, is our global best ideas list. So this is a list which comes out every month and it is exactly what it says it is, right? It's our best ideas from our analysts. So on the February list, there were 77 companies from around the world that made the list out of 1,600 plus that we cover. And the company that we chose today and we'll do a deep dive on is illustrative of the process that our analysts take, but also the process all of our listeners can take to evaluate a potential investment opportunity. This is not a recommendation to buy this share. We want to be very clear about that. This is supposed to be a learning experience. Yeah, and I think we'll do this periodically going forward because, Shani, we, we get a lot of requests to do this, so maybe we'll just make it a regular thing. Mm -hmm. But so, but people should let us know yes, if they like this. Sure. Yeah, Yeah. Um, so we've picked one share today. We want to be thorough because we think if you are out there buying individual shares, you should be thorough. And successful investing is more than simply finding an industry that you think sounds exciting and will grow, and then deciding that any company associated with it is a good investment. That first order thinking will not work over the long term, and there are too many smart people out there investing and too many people spending the time to really understand a business. But this doesn't mean that you need to dedicate your life to studying and analyzing companies. Spend a little bit of time researching and some more time thinking. And we are helping you today come up with some things to think about. Think of this as a case study of things to think about when you're considering a company. And we're going to look at a small company that is a little more speculative. But I think it's an interesting one. So we're going to look at Beyond Meat. So that is a share that trades on the NASDAQ in the US with the ticker symbol of BYND. So why don't we start with basics? And maybe, Shani, if you could just describe the company for us. Yeah, sure. So Beyond Meat is one of the leaders in the plant-based meat industry and was actually the first company to release a product, which was the Beyond Burger, which came out in 2016. The plant-based meat industry is different than simply vegetarian food. It's food that is designed to be indistinguishable from animal-based protein in appearance, taste, and what is described as cookability. So basically just means that you would cook this exactly the same way you'd cook any other meat. And this is very different than simply a veggie burger, which is supposed to taste good, but not mimic meat. And this is an important distinction. So, you know, I guess the legacy players in the industry created vegetarian food like veggie burgers for vegetarians. 
And that's not what Beyond Meat is doing and not the people that they're targeting. So they're targeting people who eat meat, which is 95% of Americans. And plant-based protein is a pretty new concept. Beyond Meat was founded in 2009 by Ethan Brown, who reasoned that since the primary components of meat, so amino acids, lipids, trace minerals, vitamins, and water, are also readily available in plants, the architecture of meat could be replicated with plant-based materials. So Brown worked with scientists at the University of Missouri to develop a process that combines proteins from plants into a very basic structure that resembles animal muscle. And it took seven years to develop their first product, so clearly this is a bit challenging. You would think. Yeah. It sounds challenging, <laughs> yeah. right? Well, Beyond Meat was the first company, as Shani mentioned, to release a product, but a competitor named Impossible Foods quickly followed their lead. And the concept is pretty simple here. People like eating meat, and typically as incomes rise, meat consumption increases. The problem, of course, is that meat isn't great for the environment. So the global livestock industry is estimated to generate between 18 and 51% of greenhouse emissions. 26% of the land in the world is occupied by livestock, and 23% of water use in agriculture goes to livestock. And plant-based meat is a solution to this. So a University of Michigan study showed that compared to a beef burger, a Beyond Burger generates 90% less greenhouse gas emissions, requires 46% less energy, has 99% less impact on water scarcity, and 93% less impact on land use. And the expectation of our analyst is that concern about environment will be a key driver in the adoption of plant-based meat. A Pew Research project shows that 20% of Americans actively adjust their behavior in order to benefit the environment, and we think it's reasonable that 20% of the population will convert a portion of their meat consumption to plant-based protein. The other potential driver of growth is people concerned with animal welfare. Most of these people are already eating vegetarian, but the superior taste of plant-based meats might be a driver of switching. Now, the question, of course, is if this it is a great business. So does it have a moat? Well, the answer right now, according to our analyst, is no, because this is a very new product and a concept that's still in its infancy. But there are some positive signs that our analyst sees. And right now, Beyond Meat and their competitors are, of course, in the early stages of expanding distribution. And we'll just have to see if that first mover advantage that Beyond Meat has will be prohibitive for others to overcome or if these new products will take off. And there are a number of competitors, but we think the most serious one is Impossible, which is a private company and was the one that released their product right after Beyond. Other competitors include Smithfield Foods, Maple Leaf, Tyson Foods, and a number of other firms. In taste tests, there's a pretty big gap right now with Impossible and Beyond leading the way. And like any new product, there is going to be a huge advantage to the company that can establish a foothold with consumers. And Beyond recognizes that, and they've spent heavily on research and development. And we'll get into the implications of this in a bit. But if you go back over the past four years, they've spent 36%, 11%, 7%, and 8% of revenue on research and development. And that's really high when we compare it to the 1% to 2% that, on average, packaged food companies spend on R&D. And this reflects not only the focus on competitors that Shawnee outlined, but also the fact that their biggest competitor is meat. And meat that comes from an animal. I can't believe I have to say that, by the way. But meat that comes from an animal. And that's the gap that they're actually trying to close. Focusing simply on their main competitor of Impossible Foods, there is one really big potential advantage that Beyond has. 
Impossible uses two genetically modified organisms, heme and soy protein, while Beyond is GMO-free. We think this is an important distinction because GMOs, and therefore the Impossible Burger, are banned in Europe, and according to a survey conducted by the International Food Information Council, 46% of American consumers avoid GMOs, which have been linked with various diseases. And the use of heme actually prevented the Impossible Burger from being sold in US retail settings until it was approved by the FDA in 2019. And this gave Beyond an even bigger first mover advantage to Impossible. And one one thing to note, just from a sort of show notes, <laughs> we practiced this yesterday <laughs> and you, like me, did not know how to pronounce that heme. word, heme. So I'd so, watch a YouTube video. Yeah. So for a minute and a half, this lady was repeating heme, heme, heme. Over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you think this podcast is boring, go watch that YouTube video. <laughs> um, but anyway, let's get back into Beyond. So- one of the reasons that our analyst, of course, is saying that they're starting to see signs of moat is behind is um, because of that first mover advantage that Beyond has. And there has been substantial consumer interest in the Beyond Burger, and launches of the brand have been have successfully been used to drive traffic into restaurants. So 2018, A&W Canada, which is shocking, at least to me, who's been to an A&W, shockingly, the country's second biggest burger chain. They ran an advertising campaign promoting Beyond Burger and saw a material increase in guest counts, which led to record same source sales growth in the quarters following the launch. And the restaurant said that this was the fastest new product launch in history. It was also the fastest new product launch at TGI Friday, so that's a fast casual restaurant in the U.S. And when KFC did a limited time test of Beyond Chicken, it sold out all of the products in under five hours. And it sold as many Beyond boneless wings and nuggets as it would normally sell of its popcorn chicken in a week. And part of what is driving this is the brand awareness. 61% of U.S. consumers have heard of the brand in October 2021, which is up from 23% at the time of the May 2019 IPO. And this is driving new business. So, for example, in February 2021, McDonald's announced that Beyond Meat will be the global preferred supplier of its McPlant burger in the U.S., Australia, Canada and the U.K. And in the case of McDonald's, the McPlant is still in the process of being launched. They introduced it in all UK restaurants on January 2nd, and over the next few months, we expect to see it in more restaurants. They're also continuing to work with Yum! Brands, who own KFC. Starting in January, they introduced Beyond Chicken Nuggets, which will last until supplies run out, but we suspect may become a permanent part of their restaurants in urban and suburban areas where there is more demand. So this is all a good story, but... For any new company, we need to consider a couple different things, one of which is the addressable market. So the total addressable market is a term that stands for the total revenue opportunity for a good or service. So this represents the total opportunity that Beyond and its competitors will be fighting for. With a new product like plant-based meat, this, of course, is a little trickier to determine. So we could start with the global meat market. Sounds funny, right? Meat market. <laughs> Um, which was $1.4 trillion in 2020. But we think that a better place to start is the global ground meat or mince market. So we don't really think a plant-based meat product will replace a steak anytime soon. So we want to start with that smaller market. And so that's a $478 billion ground meat segment. So in 2020, plant-based meat represented 4.3% of ground meat sales. And we expect that number to grow to 12.5% by 2030. And we're basing this estimate on the fact that this is the level that plant-based meats grew to and stabilized for 
at Burger King. So that's Hungry Jack's in Australia. So that gives us a total addressable market of $79 billion in 2030, which is a 14% compound annual growth rate from the $21 billion that it was in 2020. And next, we have to look at what we believe Beyond will capture out of this total market. And this is, of course, where things get a little trickier. In an established market with established products, we're starting to look at where companies can increase their market share incrementally. In a market in its infancy, that is harder to predict, that increases the uncertainty of our ability to forecast the future. And we can get into that more later. In 2020, Beyond had a 2% share of the overall $21 billion market. And that doesn't sound like a lot, and it isn't, but the current market is dominated by traditional products such as tofu. So while Beyond has 2% of the overall market, they have a significant share of the new wave of products trying to replicate meat. We expect their share of the plant-based meat category to increase to 8% by 2030. In 2021, we expect their overall sales to increase 18%, accelerate rapidly in 2022 based on the McDonald's and KFC deals we spoke about earlier, and then settle into 10% a year until 2030. We also see large growth potential in international markets. So Beyond has started manufacturing capacity in Europe and China, and research shows that Europeans and the Chinese are more likely to consume plant-based meats than Americans. So we do think, obviously, plant-based meats will be very successful abroad. And we think China and India in particular, which are the world's two most populated countries, are an attractive market. So they do offer a great solution for China, which doesn't have enough arable land to feed its huge population. And it's a great fit for India's large vegetarian population. So both countries seem to be highly amenable to the products, with surveys showing 96% of China and 94% of India are likely to try the products. And that compares with 75% of US consumers. So that covers off where we think future growth comes from. But one thing we need to look at from a growth perspective is if this growth is valuable for investors. Many investors think all growth is great, and some of it is, but some of it isn't as valuable. As investors, we want growth that creates value, and that is why we want a return on invested capital that is higher than our weighted average cost of capital. And this sounds complex, but it isn't. So if we think about how a company works, companies raise money, and that money has a cost. So a simple example is raising debt, but of course, you can also raise equity from shareholders. So let's look at debt. So debt has a cost, and that, of course, is the interest rate that is being paid. So if you have a mortgage and you're paying 3%, that is the cost of the debt. As the company, you take that money, and then you invest it in the business and try to earn a return off of it. And you want that return to exceed the cost of getting that capital. If you're investing the money and earning the same return, it means that you would borrow a dollar, pay 3% for that invest the dollar and earn a return of a dollar and three cents. So that is not creating value, although that is growth. Value is borrowing for 3% and earning a dollar 17 off of that $1 investment. And in this case, we believe the cost of capital for Beyond Meat is 7.5%. In 2019, we calculated a 12% return on invested capital, and we expect that to grow to 28% by 2030. The other thing that's important to look at is margin. So sales are, of course, important. What is equally or perhaps more important is how much of those sales that you get to keep. So we see a couple catalysts here. Gross margin represents the amount that a company keeps after a sale, after accounting for the direct cost to create a product or service. In this case, we see their manufacturing getting cheaper as they scale production, and they're also bringing more in-house. This is often the case with companies that 
do increase production. It just gets cheaper to make each additional unit due to economies of scale. By 2030, we expect gross margin to improve from 33% to 35%. The real increase we see is an operating margin. So rather than just looking at the direct costs of creating the product, the operating margin includes all the costs associated with running the business. In this case, we see an improvement to 20% by 2030 from a negative 7% in 2020. So maybe, Shani, explain this concept a bit for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you are a relatively new company, you often have to invest in the business and don't see the results for a little bit. What you are investing in is future growth. You're trying to lay the foundation for that future growth, but you need to wait to see the benefits. The most obvious example with Beyond is the research and development work they're doing. They're trying to create a better product and investing significantly in those efforts. So is this a good thing or is it a bad thing? It's hard to tell until you see the results of those efforts. That obviously adds risk and uncertainty, but the results of those investments are the potential you would be investing in. So as their revenue goes up, these investments will be in smaller portions of their sales. That will raise their operating margin. For instance, we see the research and development costs lowering and the general cost of running the business to reduce significantly by 2030. And it's the increased sales, but more importantly, the increase in margin that we think will lead beyond to profitability. And it's important to note the company is not profitable, made a slight profit in 2019, and then had a dip back into the red in 2020, even though revenue rose. And we need to spend a minute now doing something scary. We should have that Jaws music playing now. So think about adding sound effects well. Um, so yeah, something a little scary for people. And I know it makes people uncomfortable, but we are going to look at the financial statements put out by Beyond. And we acknowledge that this next part is going to turn off some people and think, this is too hard, but I can assure you it's not. We debate a lot about how much detail to go into these episodes, but we think no matter how much you know about investing, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't want to learn. So if you aren't ready to do this yet, then don't worry. You will get there and we will continue to help support you learn more. Okay. So we're going to look at the income statement, which is one of three financial statements issued by companies, along with the balance sheet and the cash flow statement. So this is a US company. So it reports quarterly, with the last quarter being the annual statement. And it will issue all of these accounting statements, all three of them, every single time it reports. And just remember, in Australia, most companies report twice a year. So the income statement does exactly what it says it does. It looks at a company to see if it has made a profit or loss, basically looking at how much it sells, then all the expenses associated with producing that good or service and just running the company in general. So we're going to look at the annual statements, meaning the last one we have is 2020. As we said, the company didn't make any money in 2020 after a narrow profit in 2019, but we're looking at the financial statements to find out why. So where do we start, Shani? So we start on the top line, which is revenue. That is how many plant-based meat units the company sold multiplied by the price. We can see that in 2019, the company had revenue of $300 million. And in 2020, the company had revenue of $410 million. So that's good. They grew sales by close to 36%. It is good. But growing sales by that much and going from being profitable to not profitable means that expenses must have changed. So now we can just scan down the income statement to see if anything jumps out at us. So the first category I see is cost of goods sold. So this is a line in the income statement that is, once again, exactly what it sounds like. They've sold some plant-based meat, and it costs money to produce that. This is what that cost is. So I can see that in 2019, the cost of goods sold was $198 million, and in 2020, it was $284 million. That is an increase, but remember, as Shani said, they sold more in 2020, 
So it, of course, makes sense that it costs more to produce it. In this case, the cost of goods sold increased by 43%. Now, that is more than the revenue increase. Remember, that was 36%, which means that the margin they are making has decreased a bit. As we said earlier, analysts expects this, expects this to reverse. But that difference, in cost, that difference in cost of goods sold isn't going to account for the fact that they went from being profitable to losing money. So we need to keep scanning down the income statement. So what's the next thing that you see, Shani? Well, there are two categories of expenses that I can see that jump out as having pretty significant changes. The first is something called selling, general, and administrative expenses. This is known as SG&A. These are the costs associated with running a business. So examples include salaries for employees, rent on buildings, expenses associated with selling goods like paying for marketing and buying computers or other equipment for employees. We can see that this item increased from $74 million in 2019 to $133 million in 2020. And that's a big jump of close to 80%. Now, normally this line is described by investors as fixed costs. Variable costs are associated with producing the item, which was the cost of goods sold. So if I make more beyond burgers, the cost to make them will go up. If I make less, the cost to make them will go down. These SG&A expenses are considered fixed because they generally move less. However, in this case, there was a big move. So what are some of the reasons for this, Mark? Well, this is a case where we can see big jumps in growing and relatively new companies. You want to grow, it often takes investments in this category, and you may not see the payoff for a number of years. Then emerging product, you will invest more in marketing. As your company grows, you will invest more in hiring more people to support that growth. You'll invest more in technology to support those people. And remember, this is a very small company still. It has 700 employees. If you're a big and mature company in the food space, like Kellogg's or something, so Kellogg's has 31,000 employees and obviously a long history of marketing, you're not going to see those jumps. But for a smaller company, you often do. The plan, of course, is to invest more in these fixed costs to grow and then once revenue grows more, it will make the company profitable again. What matters is if these investments are effective and if they lead to growth. That is something only the future will show us, but that's why we're exploring this company in the business model. So anything else jump out at you, Shani, looking at the income statement? Mm, so we also saw a jump in research and development costs, which is something we talked about earlier, that jumped from $20 million to $31.5 million between 2019 and 2020. And these research expenses are associated with trying to make a better product. And once again, this is, this is an investment in the future. And while a 57% increase is large, it's another area where new companies often invest. And this is needed and can be a very good thing as long as these investments pay off. Once again, the reason we are looking at the company in the first place. So hopefully our brief trip into the financial statements wasn't too scary, but Moving on, what's next, Shani? All right, so before we get into our fair value and what is happening with the share price, we need to go through the risks that, that face a company. In general, small companies have significantly higher business risk than larger companies. We've discussed this concept earlier, but smaller companies are less established. We don't know if their product will catch on. We don't know what the competitive landscape will be, and they are often in more precarious financial situations. Why don't we start with what kind of financial condition they're in? In this case, despite being a small and relatively new company, we think Beyond is in a really strong financial situation. They have $890 million in cash and cash equivalents and only $1.19 billion in debt. Okay, so if we cross that off the list, we can see that the primary risk in this case is product adoption. So we simply don't know if this will catch on. And we talked earlier that there are some environmental benefits, 
But at this point, there aren't really other benefits. So there are no significant health benefits. So Beyond Burgers have about the same number of calories and saturated fat as an 85% lean real beef burger. The Beyond Burgers have five times as much sodium as an animal meat burger. And the other concern about adoption is that while there's a lot of consciousness about the environmental impact, there's also a strong movement to eat less processed food. And in this case, plant-based meats is not exactly simple to make. It involves a lot of different ingredients to try to replicate animal meat. And when you combine this with the still unsettled competitive landscape, this leads to risk. Our analysts have a high uncertainty rating on the company, which is our second highest level. The high uncertainty relates to our analyst confidence and their ability to predict future cash flows, which will drive the valuation. So where does this leave us, Johnny? Well, investing is simply exchanging risk for potential return. As investors, we want to make sure that we're getting appropriately compensated for the risk that we're taking on. In this case, our analysts think we are getting more than compensated. We have a fair value estimate for Beyond Meats of 119 US dollars. That fair value is underpinned by our belief in the growth of plant-based meat and beyond expanding its market share and improvements in margins as the company scales. So we've come a long way. We've explored the competitive environment of the overall industry and how Beyond stacks up against competitors. And we did that, of course, to explore if Beyond has a moat. And while we don't think it does, we do see some promising signs. We looked at drivers of revenue, and that includes the deals with McDonald's and Yum! brands. We looked at the total addressable market and the overall growth in the industry. We explored risks, and we looked at our analyst fair value calculation of $119. Only after all of this, we should go look at the price. And we want to do this because we want to concentrate on the fundamentals before examining the price. And we do this because we are investing in a company, and that is where we want to start. But when we look at the price, we can see that it is trading for $58.13 as of February 14th in 2022. That is obviously a significant difference from the fair value of $119. And we feel that the gap is an adequate margin of safety to compensate us for the risk associated with the company. A margin of safety is what we use to protect us from the risk of an unknowable future. The higher the uncertainty of what is going to happen, the higher the margin of safety we should demand. In this case, the uncertainty is high, but the margin of safety is also really high. That makes this a five-star share, which represents the biggest discount we have to fair value. And this 50% gap between the price and fair value is largely due to the performance of the share price over the last year. So the stock is down 66% in the last year. And this is largely attributed to concerns from investors about the decelerating growth in the plant-based meat category. This deceleration of growth is largely due to issues in the U.S. retail outlets. So in 2020, we saw growth of 45%, which dipped to growth of 8% in 2021. Now, we don't see this decline as being indicative of a lack of interest in plant-based meat, but instead we see abnormally large sales in 2020, which was the result of the surge in grocery spending during the pandemic. So it's a pretty difficult standard that we're operating off of, of what occurred in 2020, which made that growth in 2021 so weak. However, if we take a step back and we compare 2021 numbers to 2019, we see that sales are 57% higher, and that is still really strong. And we do think one of the catalysts going forward is the McDonald's and the Yum! brands uh, product introductions in 2020, and we're forecasting $250 million in revenue from McDonald's and $140 million in revenue from Yum! brands. 
And we should point out that those revenue estimates are big. $390 million combined, and that is a company that has $410 million in revenue for all of 2020. Exactly. And we also need some context to this poor share price performance. This is a small cap share that isn't consistently profitable. And these companies have gotten hammered over the past year, and especially over the past three months. And we talked about this on our examinations of the market, how investors have fled small caps in general, but especially ones that haven't turned a profit yet. So while Beyond has performed worse than small caps in general, it has certainly been hurt by this trend in the market. No, it, it definitely has. And it's always good to have a bit of perspective on what's going on, Johnny. All right, Mark. So is Beyond something that you would buy? Okay. Well, I will say I'm intrigued. So in general, this is not a share I would buy because I normally focus on shares that pay dividends. So it doesn't check that box. And that automatically tells me that this would go into my retirement accounts because it's more aligned with my investment strategy there, because it doesn't fit into that passive income strategy in my taxable account, so the one we talked about last week. Mm. So despite these initial thoughts, I will have to admit, I do like consumer goods in general, and I do like to focus on shares that I believe have been overly punished in an unjustifiable way. So as an investor, the first thing I'm going to do is try the product. That's that old Peter Lynch, right? Go try (laughs) the product. So grilled, which I know you like, Shani. Well, I used to work there. That was my first ever job. Well, I know. But you also, you still like it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, you know, Grilled, they use Beyond the Beyond Burger for their alternative burger range. So I think this weekend, I know, exciting weekend, watch out. <laughs> I'm going to go to Grilled and I'm going to give this thing a shot. And obviously an investment decision shouldn't hinge on if I like this burger or not. But I do think it's important to go out and try the product. And I will say that I've been thinking about this concept of plant-based meat a lot over the last week or so while we've been planning this episode. And we, of course, encouraging, encourage thinking here on Investing Compass, which is one of the things we highlighted in our Lessons from Great Investors show. All right. So what have you been thinking? Okay. Well, I like eating meat, I think, as you know, Shani. Mm-hmm. And there is a bit about this concept of creating this meat-like product that freaks me out a bit and doesn't really sit right with me. And, you know, I think if I look back over the years, I've been I've become a little bit more choosy on the type of meat that I eat. And part of this is because I'm lucky that I can afford to do this. But I've also just wanted to make sure that I buy quality. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I've been eating at fast food places less. But even when I did, I sort of deliberately didn't spend a lot of time thinking about where that burger at McDonald's came from or where that chicken at KFC came from and especially why it was so cheap. And, you know, that also doesn't sit right with me. So I've come around a bit to the concept. So if they create a plant-based steak, I'm probably not ever going to buy it. (laughs) But if a burger at a fast food place or fried chicken is made from plant-based meat, I guess I'm open to it. So I don't know. What what about you, Shani? What do you think? Mm, So I actually already hold Beyond Meat. So my husband purchased it back in 2019. And I think it was actually around the same price that it is now. So we're definitely holding on to it. And if I didn't hold it, I think there are a few considerations for me firstly. And the first is that uh, in my investment accounts, I do have quite an outsized position in US equities. And that's because I do receive Morningstar shares as part of my compensation package. So it is quite a large exposure. Um, I'm not worried about it because I have a positive outlook for the company. You would hope as I do work here. But um, as time progresses and as I save and contribute more to my investments, it'll become a smaller portion of my portfolio. And I do have to consider whether I want to contribute to that U.S. equity exposure and also U.S. currency exposure. 
Um, and the second consideration is where I'm focused on directing my funds at the moment. And I did have to dip into my emergency fund for some uh, expenses recently. So I do need to build that back up. So taking a break from purchasing equities outside of my normal contributions. But I definitely do agree um, with the analyst that covers Beyond Meat and have a positive outlook for my holding. So what are considerations um, investors should think about when they're considering the share market? Yeah, well, for, for other investors, I would just weigh the risk and reward that we talked through. Beyond can establish a moat within the industry, and if the industry can grow, I think this could be a great investment. There are, of course, significant risks associated with this happening. So I would say that any investor should expect a significant degree of volatility in the shares. as a beta of 1.49. So beta is a measure of market risk. It indicates how sensitive an investment's returns have been to movements in the market over a specific time period. That means that it has moved almost 50% more than the overall market. Market goes up 10%. That beta suggests it would go up. Beyond would go up 14.9%. Same thing on the downside. So get ready for a bit of a roller coaster. But if our thesis plays out, it could be quite good for the company. All right. So we'll stay tuned for Mark's review of Beyond Burger. And in the meantime, think about how this fits into your goals and your approach to investing. Think about the potential volatility and how that could impact you. For some investors, it doesn't matter. For some, it does because they are approaching or in retirement. And think about how you would respond to volatility. If it might induce you to do something extreme like sell, then perhaps it isn't right for you. The last thing I would like to add is that what we did today is supposed to be a bit of a guide for investors when you're thinking about making an investment. So we use our global best ideas as a jumping off point to identify a company to look at. And then we leaned heavily on our analyst report. I do think this is an example of how you can use our research to help you make decisions. It isn't just about blindly following a recommendation from an analyst. It's about being an informed investor, and that takes a bit of time. So spend some time reading about a company and spend some time thinking about that company and the business they are in and what the competitive pressures they face. Even without an analyst support, anyone can do this and go through what we did today with the financial statements, the annual report. Googling some news articles about the industry and company. And the most important thing that you need to be a good investor is just a bit of intellectual curiosity. All right, so we made it. Now I'm off to try Beyond Burger. Yeah, are you excited? I am excited. And mm-hmm. Shawnee's off to Melbourne for the weekend. Yeah. So hopefully you're excited about oh, that. Yeah, but, awesome story. Exactly, exactly. But anyway, thank you guys very much for listening. Let us know once again if you enjoyed this format of going through and doing a deep dive of a company. So my email address is in the show notes. So feel free to send an email with some other suggestions for show episodes and just what you think about this one. Also, we would love ratings and comments in your podcast app. So please do that. So thank you again for joining us. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.